Welcome to Eurocron, a podcast about people whose names you may not be familiar with now, but you will remember their stories. Hi, I'm Scott Pitney, the host for Eurocron. So, without further ado, let's jump right into our next extraordinary story. Our next guest on Eurocron is Bob Stanell. I simply refer to him as Coach because he was my youth football coach. Coach has been on the show before and is returning today to talk about his book, China in My Eyes. Coach, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing as well as can be expected for someone who'll be 78 at the end of this month. 78 at the end of this month. When is your birthday? 29th. You're kidding me. I, we've never talked about this before, but my birthday is October 29th as well. Oh, jeez. You to- do realize that October 29th, 1929, was the day of the great stock market crash and depression? Yes. So, <laughs> October 29th, so October 29th is famous for a lot of things. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I do recall that. And um, yeah, so a couple of scorpions, I guess, chatting, chatting here. <laughs> yeah, well, our 29th is probably less important than some other 29th. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Well, very true. So uh, how are you doing? It's It's been a few months since we've talked. Um, well, isolation sort of sucks, but uh, we've been... Here in Arizona, we have a lot of retirees, second only to Florida. And um, consequently, we we are forced to um, isolate a great deal for our own protection. Uh-huh. So it's uh, it's been boring. Um, be nice if we had a few more sports on TV. So I'm hoping, you know, we're slowly adding some things that'll make it less boring, Well, that's about it. And speaking of, you've got to be pretty happy with the way your Packers are playing right now. Yeah, but um, maybe out three starters in the next game, and that concerns me. But they're off to a good start, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you ever recall? I don't know if I ever told you. I saw 46 straight Packer home games growing up. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I missed, missed one the weekend I got married. What, I, uh, I could make a joke, but I won't. <laughs> so what is the Lambo experience like for, from someone, someone that's experienced it 46 times? Well, in the um, early in the season, it's wonderful. Later in the season, it's cold as hell, so <laughs> it just depends. Uh, my last game at Lambeau, and it was so cold that I was with three other friends and we were under these blankets. When the game ended, it took you like 15 minutes to get up to get your body in position. So um, sometimes it wasn't a great job. <laughs> But as a true Packer fan, you hung in there, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I I am. Um, I was 
fortunate in that when I was in college uh, at Ball State in Indiana, well, there everyone was Bears fans. Well, the Packers were good, and of course they all hated the Packers. So they don't want to make bets for me on a Sunday, and that's fine. And, you know, in those days, betting a buck game or whatever. Yeah. You know, I took my classmates for a lot. A fair amount of dollars <laughs> because it's really funny. Well done. <laughs> so, Coach, do you ever recall a year as crazy as 2020? That's funny. I was just talking with my friend Art last night. Um, Art and I have known each other since sixth grade. We played ball together all through high school, what have you. And we were both talking about that, that um, in our entire life, we couldn't think of anything that compared to 2020. We, um, you know, we went through the, the Democratic Convention, the riots in Chicago in 68, you know, the Vietnam Wars and such. But during those times, it was mostly one issue things. We've never seen anything anything in our life where there's been so many issues going on at once. Um, so that's completely, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking on October 3rd. And of course the latest uh, news is, is our president now has COVID and uh, it's just, it just keeps getting crazier um, to, to say what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. Who knows? That's exactly how we feel. Our, Art is also my cruising buddy because um, both of us, his wife died a few years ago, so both of us are alone now. So if you've ever been on a cruise, you know they charge the same for two people or one. So we go together, and uh, we're scheduled to go on a cruise here in, in November again. And um, sometime in the next two weeks, we got to make up our mind if we're going to go or not. So who knows? <laughs> Well, that's interesting that I wasn't sure if the cruises were even operating. Uh, my wife and I do take cruises and we enjoy them very much, but we, we don't have any upcoming plans, so we haven't looked into it. So that answers that question. They are running. Uh, where, where, are, where are you planning on going for this one? Well, remember, cruises are running now only out of Miami. No other ports being used. Okay. So we are booked at Miami to the... Western Caribbean and along the, the coast to Belize, uh, uh, Honduras, and uh, Panama Canal and Cartagena. So along that coast, um, you know, we have concerns about it because you're never sure what may change and all of a sudden this port doesn't let you in or do you get sick on board and, you know, uh, nobody lets you in anywhere um so there's a lot lot to think about and before this covid thing hit we were on four cruises in one year and we never thought about any of this stuff and now all of a sudden you got all these things to think about and, and it's like you said um changes can happen so rapidly what what is good today isn't necessarily good one hour from now or one day from now. Yeah, so, 
case in point, in relative to cruising in the uh, Caribbean anyway, is I opened my weather app yesterday and we got another disturbance uh, uh, forecast to hit the Yucatan and go into the Gulf. It's like, man, the, the, I think this is the second year in history that we've uh, gone through the entire alphabet. Um, you know, we had uh, beta, tropical storm beta hit Texas. And from what I understand, that was the first named tropical storm that you know was named from the Greek alphabet to hit the United States. So just another thing going on with 2020. You know, does um, how does that factor in? Because it sounds like you're leaving. It's still hurricane season through I think the end of November officially. In the, in theory, you don't normally get hurricanes that late in the season, but that was in theory this year. It may not apply. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's something else. We thought about that and says, well, at least we're hugging the coast. We wouldn't want to be out there going to the Puerto Rico or the ABCs or anything at at this particular time. But at least hugging the coast probably leaves you better off. Mm. Um, I think about the hurricanes every time. I only went through one living in Houston. I don't even remember the name now. But uh, I was living, you know, 40 miles inland, and um, it took out uh, one of my windows uh, uh, down a huge tree, the biggest one in my yard, and took out half the signals on my roof. Well, it didn't turn out so bad because it took out enough. I got a new roof and stuff out of it, <laughs> but never Nevertheless, I, I remember the situation. So every time I see one happen for Houston, I, I think about that and I wonder about, you know, all the people I know back in Houston. Uh, ironically, um, about nine o'clock this morning, I got a text from Tom Urquhart. Really? <laughs> uh, That's great. So I still, still hear from different people. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, Tom. Tom, it was quite nice. Um, he sent me uh, an interest. He sent me a statement. Oh, one coach will impact more young people in a season than the average person in a lifetime. That's all he sent. I so, I have to agree with that. That that is so true, and it can even be one thing that's said to uh, a student or to a player that carries on for a lifetime. So that's, I think that's a very true statement. Well, and you know, Tom sends me a, a text or an email every two, three weeks. It just was ironic that that one came through this morning. That is, that is. I'm, I'm connected with uh, Tom on Facebook. So I, I keep up with uh where he is and things like that. But um, please tell him I said well, hello. And of course, Lonnie, as you know, I think Lonnie um, and Steve Candelari, uh, along with Tom, were out here visiting uh, last November. So it's been almost a year now, which seems closer. Yeah, well, I will definitely. Last visitors. Yeah, I will definitely. Uh, you know, depending on the uh, circumstances with 
COVID and all that at the time, when my wife and I make it out to Arizona again, we'll we'll definitely look you up and and see if we could connect because uh, it'd be be nice to meet with you face to face, Coach. You know your picture's still on the wall. <laughs> oh, great. Well, thank you. So, China in my eyes. I've read the book and enjoyed it very much. Um, but before we get into the book itself, I'd like to ask you about writing books in general, Coach. Um, how do you approach writing a book? Um. Well, my I've had. I guess I call it three and a half books published now, and none of them were intended to be. When I was in China, I was writing sort of my own blog. Uh, I called it a travel blog, and I send it to about 80, 90 people that were on my list at the time. And so each week or two in China, I would send out my thoughts about being in China, living there, whatever. Then as I stayed in China and ended up being there five years, during my last year, the leaders, deans, vice presidents, you have to excuse me, I got to sip water a lot these days. Now, take your time. They, um, and they called me Mr. Robert over there. So, um, say, well, Mr. Robert, um, we are going to lose all the lessons you teach when you go because, um, uh, they liked what I taught and how I taught it and what have you. So they said, uh, can you write all these down for us? So I began to take my curriculum, and I just began um, lesson one, lesson two, and I did them as detailed as I could for the number of weeks in their semesters. And um, that was uh, enjoyable for me and enjoyable for them. And then it was uh, published by um well, you know, here in America, how you have many things published by like uh, University of Texas Press or what have you, or, you know, uh, so over there it was published by Shijiang University Press and it was designed as a textbook to better teach English to Chinese students. So that was the first one that went out. It went through several editings. I had my kids read it and felt if there was anything that I'd left out and what they had been taught in that, and they loved it. So then it ended up getting used by, I don't know how many Chinese teachers uh, who were teaching English and using the lessons from there that we taught. Because when I got over there, it was interesting that the Chinese people or Chinese English teachers were teaching, they had masters in English from Chinese universities, a minimum of masters. But of course, the methods they use and such were more um, uh, like in Europe, dictatorial. A professor talks and everyone listens. Well, you don't learn English very well that way. You learn English by practicing speaking it. So my lessons were designed 
to like an American teaching to get more students involved, more things where they had to actually speak the language and protect. So that's um, what I did in the first book. And uh, that turned out to be relatively successful in terms of the uh, using it for teachers and students. Matter of fact, when I went back to Wuhan two years ago, um, well, I'll get back to that later. I'll go on the next book. When I come back to um, my last year in China, I'm, I'm reading all these things. And I don't remember who, but some people who are reading my logs, uh, my travel blogs, well, Robert, you had to write a book there. And, you know, you had a book there. And I thought about it. So I just took the first day and I began to play with it. And I separated it into sections. And having gone back to school for a master's and doctor program, uh, you have to write a lot. You know, you read and write all the time. So um, <clears throat> I'm beginning to put together my thoughts. Now, this isn't a, a traditional book like a, a mystery that has, you know, a start and a plot and an end. It's more of a, a short-term biography and covering a five-year period of my life with other things thrown in. And um, <clears throat> when I got it finished, and had published, well, um, I sent out the beginning a few copies to people I knew would enjoy it, you know, family members and some people in China. And the next thing I know in China, the university loved it so much, they ordered like, I don't know, 100 copies or something. And every uh, um, foreign teacher that came to the university, they gave them a copy. Um, I may ramble a bit here, so excuse me. Go right ahead. But my students, <laughs> my students used to tell me, particularly during my third, fourth, and fifth year teaching in China, that, well, Mr. Robert, you have a Chinese heart. And I had to learn what that means because many teachers come there um, and they teach one year and want to experience China, but they don't because they come over when the year starts, they leave when the year ends, and in between they spend time drinking beer with other American teachers. Mm -hmm. um, so they never really learn much about China. Well, I chose a different path uh, during the uh, Chinese New Year, which is yeah, it's really a a break between the two semesters where they plan out the calendar, but it can be three, four weeks long. So during that time, and you get you get from the university, you get one round trip ticket a year back to the states if you want to use it that way. Some of the students go back home for three, four weeks. I thought that was nuts. Some of the teachers, I was off. I was off to. Um, the farthest reaches of China, seeing everything that I could see and um, experiencing the Chinese culture. Most people, when they go to China, if they take a trip, quick two, three-week trip, they hit the big ones, Beijing, Shanghai, 
um, uh, Xi'an. That's we call a big three. And if they go further, they take a little cruise on Yangtze. Well, um, I went to Beijing five times. Now, Beijing is bigger than New York. So you can go there a hundred times and not see all of Beijing. Um, there's many things in Xi'an besides the standard tourist sites in all these places. So I'm off to places that uh, most people don't go. I was at Pingyao, which is a several thousand year old city that no American ever heard of, but it's a completely walled little old city. I walked the entire wall around the city uh, just to get a feel of what it was like in the old days and people tacking the walls. I've been to the Great Wall three times, once in, uh, once in summer when it's a wall of all people, and once in winter when there was almost nobody there. Uh, I've been to the Great Wall in far uh, west Xinjiang where it's nothing but a three-foot-high dirt mound that's all that's left because it's eroded. So I've been an entire length. Uh, I've been to uh, Mao's home down in south of Changchang in Shaoshan, which is um, uh, like equivalent going to Mount Vernon for the Chinese. Uh, so you do all these things and you discover China and you say, if you're first there, you think, well, why do they uh, drink everything hot? Like if you ask for a glass of water, you're often given hot water. Um, and instead of an American saying, oh, I don't want hot water, where's your ice cubes? Well, you won't find any ice cubes in China. So instead of rejecting it, you say, hmm, I wonder why they, they drink it hot. And you start to learn why they drink it hot. Uh, the basis of that one being that for 5,000 years, they had no refrigeration. So to sterilize anything, you had to make it hot. And they got used to it, and that's the way it goes. So you learn all these things, but you can't learn these going for one year. So when you go the second year, you begin to understand some of it. By the third year, you understand more. And soon you develop, as my student said, a Chinese heart, because you now understand the Chinese people. You understand why they do the things you, they do and why they do things in a certain particular way. And then you're able to communicate with them better. Because when you're teaching, I can use examples that they understand better, analogies now that I didn't know my first year over there. So all this is where it comes into play. So I developed the Chinese heart. So I tried to show that then in, in editing my book a little more, not just saying, well, this is what I discovered, but this is why they do certain things and all that. Well, um, because I had this so-called Chinese heart, uh, then a Chinese publisher picked up my book and it's now his, you may have noticed if you went to my website or whatever, but it's published in Chinese. Now, I can't read anything with my name on the cover, <laughs> but my book is published in Chinese. Now, I thought, personally, I thought that was pretty cool. 
I mean, for me inside, it was a certain kick to have my book published in Chinese. Well, um, the people at my own old university, uh, I'll particularly mention Lin Lee, who was the vice president of a bunch of international stuff, um, that they originally hired me. I won't say she's my boss, because my own boss. But um, when it got over there, she started sending it to some Chinese publishers and says, you should take a look at this. So the next thing I know, it's out. So I was invited back a couple of years ago, and uh, they wanted me to visit. And it's sort of strange, because I was, I was going to Japan and Korea, um, just because. And Lin Lee says, well, Robert, why don't you come on to Wuhan while you're that close, you know, take time. He says, oh, okay, I, you know, because I loved everybody in Wuhan. Um, Lin Lee and five um, particular Chinese English teachers, I mean, were my very, very close friends. Um, they, they meant a lot to me. And I spent a lot of time in dinners with them. So I go back and I'm on a flight out of Tokyo that arrives in Wuhan like um, 11 o'clock at night. Okay, and she says, don't worry, Robert. You know, we will have a car to meet you. Well, I, so I get off the plane, you know, and there's a big sign, whatever. So I go up and, oh, Mr. Robert, Mr. Robert. And I says, wait, I have... Uh, I have a problem. I, I have no Chinese money and all the exchange places are closed. They says, oh, don't worry, don't worry. You won't need any Chinese money. Well, I spent the next eight days in Wuhan. I never had a single Chinese yuan, and I never needed one. Wow. <laughs> they paid for the hotel. They picked me up in the morning, took me to university. Every meal, there was different people wanting to go to lunch or dinner with me. Some were my former students who would drive in from hours away just to come and see me, some at the university. And one day at the university, well, I did, spoke to a couple of classes, but on, on one day, I think it was a Thursday, uh, I was doing a big presentation for kind of a couple hundred students, whatever, in the auditorium. And they began that by doing a multimedia presentation uh, about me that I didn't know what they were going to do, but up on the screen and students talking about what I meant to them and, and all that. And many of these were students I mentioned in my book. Um, and uh, like one, um, a young man, his English name was Sol. Um, he uh, he did a video presentation showing me his wife and his newborn son that he wanted me to see. It was just stuff that was bringing tears to my eyes. And then um, I was interviewed on radio and television in Chinese using one of my former English teachers as an interpreter, which was a kick also. Absolutely. And then, uh, then I gave a, a one-hour presentation to uh, um, all the people in the room and uh, and they asked questions and what have you. 
And when I could answer in Chinese, I did because I, I did learn a little Chinese during five years over there, uh, mostly stuff about food and travel. But I also learned some fun words. Um, but like when he'd asked me my favorite food, I, I could say, uh, 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 now my old age is kicking in. Kung Kung Pao Ji, Kung Pao Ji, which is uh, Kung Pao Chicken. Ah. But Ji is, is the word for chicken, so Kung Pao Ji. Ah. Um, and I could her fried rice, which is uh, chow fan, and uh, to fly noodles, which is chow mian. We pronounce it chow mein over here, but it's chow mein in China. Okay. And okay. and his, uh, I'm not getting political here. It's just a joke. But as you uh, know, if you read, uh, Trump is not particularly popular around the world. So, and there's always one student in the audience who raised their hand and says, what do you think of Donald Trump? And I said, Shen Jinping. And the whole room broke out in laughter because Shen Jingbing is Chinese for a crazy man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that goes on. So these are the kind of different things and questions you get. Then they introduce uh, my book having come out in Chinese and the staff talks about that. And then uh, students are uh, a couple hundred students buying the book and having me sign them so I'm students in line for an hour so it was it was a it was a major kick so um when you talk about uh doing books to some degree they were sort of an accident um you know they asked me to write the book about my lessons the other thing developed out of my travel blog and saying, can you put this together? Now, it took me six months to put all my travel blogs together in some kind of format, as you, you may have saw in there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, that that's sort of how they happened. And while I was over there, this last time, they asked me to write a section of a, a book that was being done on a... Uh, sort of the culture of English-speaking countries. And I was asked to write a certain part of that book because uh, there were parts in Canada, Britain, U.S., and uh, some other countries accordingly, Australia, what have you. Um, so just things come up. I, I advertise myself as a consultant, and I'm recommended around China, but... The funny thing is uh, nobody hires you when you get old. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that as you're crying or anything because, uh, hmm. I mean, it's not like I need the job and the money. Uh, I did go back once to China and did a couple months uh, uh, at Zhengzhou, a uh, place about two hours by train north of where I worked and did a consulting job for an international school up there, which basically consists of observing them, training some of their teachers, and uh, 
been writing a report on how they can improve the international education part of their curriculum and what have you. But it's also interesting that the Chinese value old people and wisdom. Americans don't. When you reach retirement age, and frankly, once you get your age, you know, if you try to teach kids, look at you, like, ah, you don't know anything, old man, you know, go away. Right. Um, it's, yeah, it's not that way in China. The, the name for a, a China uh, a teacher is Lao Xu. Uh, that means wise old one. And that's what they call you, Lao Xu. Um, so they respect your opinion. I remember, and I'm, some of these things I said in the book, Scott, excuse me if I repeat myself, but I don't always remember what I wrote anymore. Go right ahead, Coach. Um, Go right ahead. Uh, I remember a student coming up to me. Oh, is that boy I mentioned, Saul, who came up to me and says, Mr. Robert, based on your many years of experience, how would you handle this situation? And he proceeds to tell me about something he'd like my advice on. Now, can you imagine? I was like, I don't know, 65, 66 at the time. Can you imagine a student in America coming up to an old man and saying, teacher, how would you handle this situation, you know, based on your many years experience? It ain't going to happen. So teaching in China is a great joy because they respect teachers so much. They respect your age and your wisdom and what you know. Um, and you don't get that here in America. I, I will make the same comparison uh, to when I was coaching you all. You were kids. You knew I'd been a high school head football coach. So you listened to me and you respected what I knew. Now, that was very, very similar to the relationship you get in China teaching your students. They are younger, they listen, they respect what you know. And just as it was a great pleasure coaching you all, it was a great pleasure teaching in China for very much the same reasons, even though they were decades apart and thousands of miles apart, but very, very similar. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LeVon Pitney is incredibly well-versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. LeVon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as is productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, LeVon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about LeVon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805-8871. That's 
888-888-8871 or contact Vaughn at sold at pitneyproperties.com. story that I took away from the, reading the book, and if you wouldn't mind telling this story on this podcast, because I, I thought it was particularly interesting about the girl that got a bad grade, and she came back with her mother. You're not coming through clearly. How, is this oh, ba- yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and while, 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 yes, while you're telling the story, I'm going to get off my headphones a second and go take a quick break, but I, I will be back in, in 30 seconds. So uh, I'm going to jump out of screen here for just a minute. It'll take me longer than I have to speak. So anyway, <laughs> there was this girl named Vivian. It was her English name. And all of my students, by the way, uh, they take English names because they just use them in English class to make it easier for their teachers. I always tried her hard to learn their Chinese names also, some of which were easy to learn and pronounce, some which were not so easy. But in Vivian's case, she was an excellent student. But one time in my class, she wrote a relatively poor essay. And I looked at it and I wrote on it and called her up and said, Vivian, you wrote a very poor essay this time. Why? You always do such a good job. And she says, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Robert. I'll try to do better. So I said, okay. Um, And like on a Thursday, she calls me and says, Mr. Robert, my mother is coming to visit me uh, tomorrow. Can you meet us outside the teacher's canteen at noon? And I said, Okay, sure. And my immediate thought was, oh, geez, this going to be like America where the parent comes in and, you know, complains how you're doing such a poor job teaching and this bad essay was your fault and not hers and all that. Well, they come the next day and, of course, their mother speaks only Chinese. So Vivian is interpreting. And the mother says something and Vivian says to me, after introducing us, says, Mr. Robert, my mother says she wishes to apologize for her daughter writing such a poor paper and has made me promise I will never do it again. Now, that is parental support for teachers, something you never or seldom see in America. Um, They expect their students to do well. They expect their sons and daughters to perform well, because when you get in the university, it's costing the parents a certain amount of money, and they expect their students to do well um, and justify that. As you may or may not know, I think I mentioned in the book, but there's a very competitive examination to even get in the university. Students study for a year to pass them. So when you get in, you are expected to perform and do well. 
Well, the funny thing was, when when the mother says she wishes to apologize for her daughter writing a bad paper, and that I have had to promise I will never do it again, Vivian never wrote a bad paper again. I mean, because that's what is expected of you. So yes, Chinese students. I have to be careful here because I, sometimes you can make things, or people will interpret them as anti-American, and they're not. They're just establishing what happened. From um, all my experience teaching in the U.S., which is quite a few years, um, and my experience teaching in China, the Chinese students work much harder. Than we do much, much harder. They also love math and science, so they become very good at that. So, uh, whereas American students tend to shy away from math and science. Um, when you look at now the um, salutatorians and valedictorians in our high schools, who are they? They're basically Asian or Indian from India students because they love math and science. And I find it sort of amusing when people make these comments about, um, well, the Chinese are stealing from us. No, they're just, they work so hard at math and science that they've essentially become far ahead of us. It's interesting, who are the, the greatest supporters of immigration? It's all the technical industries out on the West Coast in the Bay Area, because they say they can't survive without allowing these immigrants who come here to college and have to stay, because these are the ones that are learning math and science and are becoming their stars. So I would tell Americans, if you want to compete better, study harder, learn more, um, because there is no uh, racial component to math and science. There is no ethnic component to math and science or studying hard. You want to succeed, um, get off your butt and do it. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but I've done presentations in more than 300 places all over the world in four different continents. I don't know how many different countries. Uh, but in the present, I used to do a presentation called. Um, uh, the art and science of building a career. And in that, that's one of the things I talk about, that I don't care how you were raised or how poor you are or how rich you are, because I've seen lazy rich kids that achieve nothing, and I've seen kids come from poverty that achieve a lot. You know, either way, you got to get off your butt and study. I, and you may, you may know some of these, because I was... Um, I have a brother two years younger than me, but then I have five other siblings who are all between 11 and 18 years younger than me, so they're like a separate family. Well, um, I am the product of a alcoholic father and a 16-year-old pregnant mother. Uh, I did not grow up in a particularly good situation. Um, but for whatever reason, and it's funny, my friend Art and I have had many discussions about this. 
uh, nature and nurture, which, you know, probably been argued about since the beginning of time. Sure. Why does one, why does one kid do this and the other kid do that or what have you? Mm-hmm. So I have 10 years of college and three degrees. They, um, four of my brothers and sisters are high school dropouts. Two have spent time in jail. Why they made their decisions and I made mine, who knows? But I would tell you that in this country, if we had the same uh, parental guidance and parental support that they have in China, uh, I think most of our students would do a lot better in school, a lot better. Yeah. But that's just one man's opinion from teaching here. Well, that's certainly an interesting discussion, nature versus nurture. And being adopted myself uh, and, you know, raising boys, um, I've thought about that subject many times. And uh, I think there's definitely influence on both sides. Um, You've seen it yourself. Uh, Your siblings, y'all were raised by the same parents, but turned out quite differently. And I've seen that on my side too. So uh, don't know what the conclusion is to that. Probably never will be one other than than that. There's (laughs) there's definitely an influence. Um, Coach, I want to go back to to, um, the uh, traveling part of the discussion we... we, um, you spoke about earlier and haven't been to China myself um, strictly on business though for five days I went to Hainan as, as we talked about before and first of all anybody thinking of going to China I highly recommend they read your book because there's a l- just a ton of good information and you know it's very well written and entertaining and all that but just kind of the, some of the general things about the food and and culture and all that, I I think it's a it's a great read for somebody that is is thinking of going there. But for myself, I didn't do much preparation except for going to the doctor and asking if there was anything uh, that could be prescribed, you know, to not get sick. And he simply said, "Not really. Just make sure you you uh, cook or what you eat. You know, it's it's cooked." And so uh, that's what I tried to do, but still got sick anyway. But anyway. Um, by my experience there being a business trip in Heinen, you know, it was, it was very short, a very short time, but I took in a lot in those five days. I mean, just, um, just the experience of, for example, the domestic flight from Beijing to Heinen, which was a four hour flight, which was on a 737 and the amount of, uh, of course, in our day, they they were called stewardesses, but uh, I think flight attendants is more appropriate now. Sorry. But but how dressed up they were, how proper they were, um, and and how many there were. I mean, I think there were five on this relatively small jet, seven thirty seven, um, and then just the service in general. You know, I I the hotel I stayed at, I, I went to work out one day, and the bellhop 
came with me and stayed with me during the whole workout, which was probably 45 minutes, cleaned off the equipment, asked if I wanted to, you know, watch a certain program on TV, changed the channels for me. Um, and then I tried to tip him and, and he absolutely would not take a tip. So that's just an example of just some of the things I took in in five days. But, you know, you mentioned to really understand China and probably true with any country, you have to be there for a, a long period of time. But, but for most of us, we don't have that luxury. We have maybe a week or two uh, to go to, to uh, a country or a place. For somebody like that, that is planning a week or two in China, what recommendations would you have for them? Well, first of all, when you go to a place the first time, it's sort of... Um, All you're getting is a very brief experience. For example, you went uh, into Hainan, which is the Hawaii of China. It's the beaches and a whole different type of place. Correct. Um, and, and I was on the north side. Really, so so I did not ever get to see that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, you may or may not have noticed if you went to any of the shops or restaurants walking around Hainan. You may have noticed... Um, a Russian influence. There's a lot of Russian restaurants and some Russian souvenir stands and such there because Hainan is uh, Hawaii for the Russians. Uh, they they don't need a bunch of papers to fly there. So the rich Russians go to Hainan on vacation. So it's not unusual if you walk the beaches to hear Russian. But that's just an example of about how each province has a different personality. Uh, your being in Hainan might be like, you said the equivalent of going to Hawaii, which of course has a different personality than Wisconsin or uh, Colorado or whatever. Well, it's the same thing around China. They have uh, 34 different provinces. And in effect, you got 34 different personalities, whereas you really saw only one of it. And as I said about Beijing, you can spend many, many days there. So to go someplace for a short time in China, well, you have to immediately hit, of course, Beijing and the major things there, the Great Wall and all that. And Xi'an is a nice uh, interior one. But then a lot of people go to uh, um, Shanghai. I don't particularly recommend Shanghai. Shanghai it's just a big city. Uh, it's not, it's got a nice museum and all that, but it's nothing really cultural. Although if you do go there, there's a building, uh, um, Shanghai 101 or whatever, uh, tall building that if you go in the basement, it has the best food court I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and if you've been in Chinese courts, have you? No. They're not like American food courts. I mean, they have 50 different restaurants and they all serve magnificent stuff. It's, wow. it's quite the deal. But um, so somewhere you got to go to a Chinese food court. Yeah. But then uh, in addition to Beijing and Xi'an, I would try to go someplace west, uh, either Wuhan in the center of the country, because it's um, uh, very Chinese, no foreign influence 
or Chongqing, uh, 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 which is a mountain town. There's nothing flat in Chongqing. You're going to walk up and down everywhere. And Chongqing is also, uh, I don't know if you know much about World War II, but the so-called flying tigers that came in to uh, bring food and supplies to Chinese troops, they flew into Chongqing. Mm. And there's a museum that dedicated to flying tigers and such. Uh, or to go in the far west, Chengdu. Chengdu is uh, where the um, uh, Panta Sanctuary is, and you can go and see where they're doing all this work uh, to save the pandas and such. Uh, and then there's a lot of small towns around there that are very Chinese that are worth bus rides to visit. So, but I would say, uh, in addition to the big two um, of Beijing and Xi'an, you want to try to go west because there's a lot more to see west. No, there is south too if you want to see Hainan, which of course is different, but that isn't quite as cultural, it's more touristy. Um, so uh, Kunming, which they call a city of, is in the southwest, which is a city of eternal spring. And I will say, yeah, Kunming is one of the prettiest, most relaxing cities I've been in. Uh, don't go to Hong Kong and think you've seen China. Hong Kong is nothing. Um, Hong Kong is essentially a Chinese New York. It's just a bunch of tall buildings except the people are talking Chinese. <laughs> it, and all the culture there is based on tourism business, so there is no no culture per, per se. So I don't, I've been to Hong Kong twice and I, I couldn't stand it. And if you want to rent, rent the hotel room, you'll get uh, for $100 a night, you'll get a room slightly bigger than a cot. Um, it's just ridiculously expensive and all that. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because on the contrary, in Hainan, again, I was in the business district on the north side, so I was not in the tourist area, but I got what they call a five-star hotel for 70 bucks a night, and it was for sure five-star. It was a nice size room, um, plenty of entertainment. I think they had four or five restaurants in the hotel itself. I mean, you really didn't have to leave if you didn't want to, but I, naturally, I got out and walked around and wanted to explore a little bit, but uh yeah, I mean, 70 U.S. dollars a night, a fine hotel. Yeah, it's uh, quite different than Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Hong Kong, okay. Um, when I go back to Wuhan, they always put me up in one of those places, which is which is nice, yeah. And if you, uh, if you go to a Chinese buffet, like even a breakfast buffet, they're usually quite, quite nice. Yeah. You know, food I, spread out. Yeah, uh, I think three of the four restaurants in the hotel was at uh, had buffet type food, and and so uh, yeah, I hit those quite a bit. A lot of uh, interesting varieties of things. I remember having a uh, little shark fin, little fried shark fin, <laughs> just things like that. You know, um, tried to stay with with uh, my doctor's recommendations of of having cooked food and. And I probably slipped in some salad or, or something like that, but uh, hard to, to say what actually caused me to be sick. But most people that I talk to 
of course, you've lived there for five years, but most people I've talked to that have gone to China have did not um, experience any sort of foodborne illness. So I, I think it was a, a one-off for me. Yeah, I, I am. I was never sick in my entire five years there, and I ate street food everywhere. And I never went into five-star restaurants. If I was wandering, in, and I wandered in a lot of small towns, I I would eat in a local restaurant with local people, or I would eat street food. Say, hey, that looks good. What have you? Um, if you ask how much it was, uh, I forget how to say that now, but I knew they would. Um, it's always a new one, and they would just flash your fingers at me, <laughs> like you know, one, one, two, you, and three, you, and they even have numbers for um, six and seven and eight and nine and 10. So you know how much it was and you buy it. Um, but I never got sick anywhere. And some of the greatest food is was street food because street food in effect is um, home cooking. Uh-huh. You know, they, they start their business by establishing a street stand. And if it sells well and they're doing well and they save money, then they'll get a little uh, hole in the wall type restaurant. If that sells well, they build up. So that's how they build up businesses there. But the greatest fun I had was oftentimes walking into a, a restaurant in a small town where they don't see foreigners. Mm. I remember, and I can't even say you now, but I walk, and I, I may or may not have said this in the book, I walk into this one restaurant in this little small town, and I'm the only non-Chinese take face in the place and I walk in I sit down at one of the big round tables and all the conversation in the room stopped and they're all looking at me with their mouths open because <laughs> what is what is this foreigner doing right. in our hotel right and then the, the waitress slowly comes over like she's confused too <laughs> and she comes over and I I ordered in Chinese I says uh Chow mian, uh, tai, um, uh, mayo ro, which is uh, fried noodles with vegetables, no meat. So I ordered it in Chinese, and she looks at me, and she writes it down, she turns and goes. And while I'm ordering in Chinese, they're all again looking at me. Yeah. Just staring at me. So there's maybe 20 other patrons in there, and they're all staring at me. In other words, and finally I looked over at someone and I said, um, uh, shoot, I can't think of the word again, but I said hello in Chinese. Mm. And then and then they started slowly talking to each other again, but sort of out of the corner of their eye, keeping an eye on me. And the food comes, and I pick up chopsticks, and I'm eating with my chopsticks. And again, they're looking at me. Well, you know, to me that was a blast, that I could walk into a Chinese restaurant be the only Caucasian in there, order in Chinese, and eat with chopsticks, was a blast. And this is the things that I loved around China in where I made the combo earlier, Chinese heart. I could do all this. I could flow with the Chinese culture. My first year in China, when I used to go, go eat in the... the teacher's canteen, they called it, uh, where all the teachers eat. And I would eat with chopsticks. And my afternoon classes used to joke, 
because my shirt would have spots of food all over it. And the kids used to tell me, you know, they would smile, but they were too polite to say anything. Well, by my second year, I had less spots. And my third, fourth, and fifth year, I had nothing on my clothes. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my students come up and say, Mr. Robert, we can tell you know how to use Chinese chopsticks now. I said, oh, oh, just because you have no more food on your <laughs> So, you know. That's um, great. But I was, I was quite proud of that. I could eat now without getting food on my shirt. Yeah, it's a Chinese heart. Uh, and going back to a similar experience that I had, when I went to the airport, the Hainan airport you know, on my outbound flight, I was waiting on my departure and there was a group of kids um, sitting in the area and they kept looking over at me and I would smile and wave and they would smile and giggle and wave back. And finally, the older one in the group eh, looked to be about maybe 12, 13 years old, came over and could speak English and, and said, uh, in a very humble matter, said, uh, sir, um, uh, you are the first uh, American we've ever seen. Can we have a picture with you? And I said, of course, you know, it's just, yeah, you, you feel like a celebrity. It's, it's a very cool thing. And uh, I guess we kind of take that for granted here in the U.S. since uh, we have we are known as a melting pot nation that, that we see so many different nationalities, but over there, uh, apparently not. Well, particularly if they, they see them routinely in Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, sure. yeah, the but big outside cities. of that, a lot less. Yeah. Um, everywhere I went all over China, and remember I had a long beard then, as I think I mentioned in the book, because mm. I played Father Christmas for him. So I would let my beard grow it all fall and get long. Well, when I'm traveling with my long beard, they're always coming up to me and asking for a picture. Sometimes I'd be traveling with a student because um, if I was going to, well, let's say Xi'an, for example. Uh, I was in Xi'an, and of course I had a student from Xi'an, one of my girls. And she's, Robert, when you come to Xi'an, you know, call me and I will tell you my city. So you see things you wouldn't see. It's, it's just being a tourist. So in different cities, some of my students would spend several days traveling with me. And people would, again, like you, stop you for a photograph. And uh, my students used to laugh and say, Mr. Robert, your picture is in more homes than everyone but Chairman Mao. <laughs> that's saying a lot <laughs> that's saying a lot another thing I, when you mentioned about places people should go yes um, if you're a hiker um, I would say for a hiker you definitely want to go to western China to places like um, uh, out there by Chengdu and, and the towns around it like Jushai Go um and a Tiger Leaping Gorge. Jushai Go is uh, like a miniature Yellowstone mm, there. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, Tiger Leaping Gorge is considered to be one of the great places to hike in the world. Now, you gotta be careful there um, because one or two people fall to their deaths every year. Mm -hmm. But So you don't wanna hike Jushai Go um, if it's raining and wet because the trails are slippery. But um, uh, if you if it's dry, 
to Shangola is one of the great places to go. Um, I won't even mention Tibet because that's a different ball game out there. Mm. Uh, although I've been there, um, I was, and this is important for older people. I was at Everest Space Camp at age 66, so I was at uh, was it 17,000 feet or something like that at age 66. Wow. Now, I was warned, you know, about the shortness of breath and air. Could I breathe? Yes, I was okay. But let me tell you, I moved like a turtle. Mm-hmm. If, you tried, if you tried to move like a rabbit, I was heart attack right there. Yeah. You had to move very slow because of the thin air. But as long as you did that, you're probably okay. So for hikers, Western China is, is uh, the place you want to be. Yeah. And I know there's with 34 provinces there's many different climates and things like that there but is there a general time of the year you know I, there there are probably some similar latitudes there to the united states uh, but is there a, a certain time of year that you recommend uh, going to china well you just made a very astute comment scott it's very similar to the united states right on across mm-hmm. um the uh if you go up into the north, um, east, uh, Hilongjiang and such, that is like um, northern Minnesota and North Dakota. It borders Siberia. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in Hainan, it's like Kauai. If, if you're like in Wuhan, where I was in the center of the country, I would put it similar to Memphis, mm. center of the country on the Yangtze, on the Mississippi, hot and humid. Mm. So it depends what you want to see. Uh, if you want to uh, uh, experience um, the ice festival and all these fabulous ice carvings and multi-lights that's held in uh, northern China, well, it's a good time to go in winter. Um, uh, you're going to be dressed in multi-layers, but you're going to experience a, a Siberian-type winter you're going to experience a Russian influence and a lot of Russian cooking and the big loaves of bread and such, uh, which are delicious, by the way. Uh, And even Beijing, you can go to the Great Wall in winter. And like um, a northern city in winter, if you go to the Great Wall in winter, you might be in a raging snowstorm, and you might be in 65 degrees in a sunny day. Um, But it's, it's... you know, don't know what you experience. Uh, and if you go in winter that's a, and want to experience nice things, well, that's a good time to go to the south, southern parts of China because they're not going to get real cold. Anything south of Wuhan gets two inches of snow every two years. Mm. You know, snow and it's gone the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Memphis, like Memphis might be. Mm, Dallas or something um, like that, yeah. Yeah, so in... So in the winter, uh, you, it's a good time to tour southern China because it won't be too hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, hiking in the west, uh, it all depends on what you want to experience because you're going to get a totally different, different experience in winter or summer and, and the choices you make, just like you would if you go to Minnesota in the winter or New Orleans in winter or New Orleans in the summer and Minnesota in the summer. So uh, to me... 
you go to a place multiple times. You, you, I don't know if you remember Johnny Carson when you were small. Of course. The famous. Yeah. No, okay. Dad and I watched him all I the remember, time. Yeah. I, okay. yeah, we all do. Yeah. Uh, I consider him still the greatest late night comedian. Oh, for sure. But I, I agree. remember one time he said on TV, he said, I tried to experience everything at least twice. Mm. He says, because the first time you experience it, you get over any prejudices you had going in. He says, and then the second time, you can really experience it for itself. I thought that was sort of a wise word. And I found that in my travels. Um, uh, I'm much better now when I go the first time at actually experiencing it like the second time because my eyes and ears are more open. But when I was younger, I, I learned a lot from that statement. Don't don't let your first-time prejudices color it. Get, get several times and, and see what you find. I still want to go back to the ice festival, for example. Um, I walked across the frozen Songwa River, um, which said is very, very close to Siberia. Uh, and I'm not a fan of cold. That's why I left Wisconsin. You know, I, I, um, I was born in Milwaukee and I was cold when I came out of the womb and I stayed cold until I left. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, my first, I, my initial move was to Houston where I spent 14 years, but I basically have pretty much avoided cold climates since then as much as possible. Um, but in my travels, I still like to experience both. Like Art and I are hoping next spring to take a cruise to Iceland. Um, now we're you know, not gonna go in the dead of winter uh, because it's dark and you can't see anything anyway. True. But we hope we hope to go probably in April or May, um, which you know, Iceland will still be cold, but it won't be too frigid. Um, so we still like to experience different things. Um, I can tell you, we went to Iceland the third week of May. It never got out of the 40s. Um, and out of the five days we were there, it was sunny for a half a day. And it still is one of my top three favorite vacations of all time. It was a fascinating experience. Despite the weather. I'll relate that to my cruising buddy, yeah. Because <laughs> um, I told him that I thought the combination of what Iceland calls fire and ice would be interesting. Yeah. In so, fact, um, I don't know if on the uh, Eurocron website, I did a podcast with our tour guide from Iceland. So you might want to uh, take a listen to that just to, uh, you know, get some insight as to what what you can expect um, when you go over there. But, uh, well, Coach, uh, once again, this has been a fascinating and, and wonderful conversation. Um, really appreciate appreciate the time. And um, before I let you go, and, of course, we'll put information in our show notes, but what is the best way for people to find China in my eyes to get their hands on that book? Amazon because it's, it's sort of amusing. You can buy the book cheaper on Amazon than you can from the publisher. Right. <laughs> because Amazon buys them in such quantities that it gets quite cheap. Yeah. But uh, you can go to Amazon and the books, 
you can type in China in my eyes, or you can type in just my last name, Stanel. That's probably easiest, it's shorter. And um, it'll come up. However, you also see a second book under Stanel that's by um, a, a woman. It's about my uncle, Ken Stanel. He's a former Milwaukee cop who uh, uh, was badly injured in a shooting incident. Oh. 1958 or something, because uh, I remember high school at the time. Uh -huh. So you see a couple of Um It's, uh, but on my last name, yeah, you get tiny in my eyes. Um, it's also, if you type in my last name on Google, or even type in Robert Stanel, uh -huh. You'll get, I mean, thousands of sites, including a lot of them in German. Mm. Because as I did my uh, ancestry, I was discovering all these things. I'm, apparently, my ancestors all came out of Germany. Um, and the crazy thing is there is only two other Robert Stanells in the world that I know of. One named, I'm Robert Leonard. One named Robert Arthur, who is... Um, sort of, we call him my crazy cousin, uh, who lives in northern Wisconsin, been a farmer all his life. And the third one, Robert Stanell, a site comes up in German, and uh, I'm probably related to him way back, but his site comes up for all his arrests because he's some kind of right-wing Nazi. Oh, which, God. <laughs> which is weird because you know me and I'm about as open. <laughs> that is the complete you. other side of the spectrum from you, Coach. <laughs> yeah, so be, be sure when you check it out to know which Oh, that's hilarious. Well, that's another thing uh, we have in common. I, I'm uh, My name, I've only been able to find two other Scott Pitneys in the world, and that was uh, on Facebook. And uh, before that, even our last name was unique enough. Uh, every time we got the Houston phone book, we'd always look to see if there was another Pitney. And only <laughs> we only found, I think, over the years, you know, back when uh, people looked into phone books, there was only one one Pitney on it on one occasion. But uh yeah. Do you know so. the ethnicity of the name? Sorry? Do you know the ethnicity of um, the name Pitney? I, I believe it's English. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned the phone book, because when I used to travel around in the hotel, I would pick up the phone book and see if I could find another Stanel or Schwint, which was my mother's name, uh -huh. and I'd pick up the phone and call them. <laughs> so, <laughs> And every once in a while, I would, I would meet one of them. He'd say, oh, come on over, have a cup of coffee. Oh, that's great. So, uh, I, yeah, so it, sometimes it's fun, yeah. <laughs> well, my, uh, my shared birthday friend, uh, thank you again. <laughs> thank you again, uh, Coach, for, for the visit. It was, it was wonderful, as always. And uh, in this, uh, this well, pod. Since you said it's shared birthday? Yes. Oh, he's. This is a family reunion shirt. That's my great grandfather and my great grandmother. Ah. This was from this was from a family reunion of the uh, celebrating 120 years that after they had come to America. 
That's great. That's what a great idea to put the uh, the the pictures and the dates on there. That's a that's a neat idea. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Just just wrapping up here. Well, very good. Uh, again, we'll put all the information about China in my eyes on the uh, Yercron website. And coach, thanks again. Always my pleasure. You know, in old age, we're always looking for someone to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, coach. Anytime. Podcast or otherwise. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Scott. Bye. Bye.